Hello, and welcome to the Alliance Podcast. I'm the host, Risa Courier, and today I am joined by Aurora Velasquez. She is the executive director of ACT Philly. So welcome, Aurora, and thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me, Risa. I'm really excited. So, Aurora, just before I hit the record button, we were talking about how you just um, started within the last six months as the executive director of ACT Philly. Philly. So you you started at a really interesting time. <laughs> and so could you tell me a little bit about Act Philly and the community you serve? Yeah, like you said, I've been here just about six months. So so I'm still learning every day, even while in quarantine. Yeah. Um, but ACT is the private nonprofit organization that holds the contract for animal services for the city of Philadelphia. Uh, we take in about 18,000 animals annually, mostly cats and dogs, uh, which is down actually from 32,000 in 2012 when ACT took on the contract. Um, so, yeah, I can't even imagine what the shelter was like in those days. Whoa. <laughs> so there's lots of investment I mean, it, on, you know, surrender prevention and community wow. service-oriented programming, um, thankfully. Yeah. And, you know, Philly is a really interesting city, about 1.6 million people, 142 square miles. Obviously, it has a huge historical significance for this country, but also has a nationally recognized public arts program. We have the most public murals of any city in the country, super culturally diverse. We are also the poorest large city in the entire country. Wow. I had no idea. I think I would have thought, you know, with D.C. and Baltimore and, you know, I I never would have thought that Philly uh, would would fit into that demographic. That's really astounding. Yeah, there's full quarter of the population living below poverty. Of that quarter, there's a subset of about two. There is 200,000 people in 2018 that are considered deep poverty, mm-hmm. which what that means is one adult and two children with an annual income of less than $10,000 a year, which I, I just cannot even no. fathom. So so some challenges there. And, you know, like, like a lot of shelters in the country, we are right in one of those neighborhoods. We're in one of the most disadvantaged parts of the city. Uh, so we really try to make sure that our programs and our approaches are framed with these kinds of considerations in mind. We always keep, you know, accessibility in mind, equity. We want to make sure that the people and animals who need our services are able to get to them. So it's it's a really big focus for us. Wow. Well, that that's incredible. I mean, I think a lot of the community we serve here in the district, you know, we have sort of these big disparities in income and right. access to resources. And it's like you go through some parts of the city and it feels so completely disconnected from other parts. And I, I, I've been to Philadelphia many times and there's definitely that same feeling in the city as well. Yeah, absolutely. You can see the disparity just in, within going a mile. Yep. Well, you definitely have a lot cut out for you um, just starting there. But I think you it seems like you came very well equipped because you, (laughs) you know, you learned the ropes at New York ACC. And how how long were you in New York working there? I was there for about eight and a half years. Okay, It was a long time. 
And so New York ACC operated many shelters throughout the city. How many shelters did you guys run? ACC has five locations, uh, sheltering locations, okay. plus a headquarters yeah. and field services. So it's pretty complex. How many animals, what was the intake number for ACC on a normal year? I wanted. I want to say that they're down to about 26,000 okay. cats and dogs. Wow. Yeah. And New York takes in a, a surprising number of wildlife and small pets and exotics. Hmm. So they, there's a bigger percentage of their population, their intake population than you would expect. Um, but I think for cats and dogs, it's about 26,000. Wow. Those are staggering numbers. And for Philadelphia, that you were almost at 20,000 animals a year. And it's a, it's a small city compared, like, you know, in terms of like mileage, you know, it's, it's very dense. That is, that is just astounding, (laughs) Aurora. So how would you, now that you're settled into Philadelphia and what would you say are the biggest differences between the two organizations and the communities that, that they, they serve? That's a really interesting question because there are so many similarities. Yeah. Um, you know, the challenges are, are pretty much the same. The, the population served by and large are similar. The animal population undoubtedly is the same. I think where I start to see differences is less around programming and public interaction and things like that. And more a function of just where the organizations are in terms of their evolution. So ACC is in their 25th year. You know, as mm-hmm. we just talked about, they're super complex. They're, right. you know, working with one of the biggest bureaucracies in the world, uh, the city mm-hmm. of New York. And so there's just, there's a level of complexity and sophistication in terms of like the organization's structure, the breadth and scope of programming available, budget, you know, all of those things that ACT in many ways is still working towards. We're only, you know, we only took on the contract in 2012. So, you know, we're, we're a baby. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's really where, where the differences lie. I think, I often in in conversation will say, I think ACT is ACC, you know, maybe 10 years ago. We're, we're the same kind of organization. We have the same sort of mission, the same focus. Yeah. We're just at different, different life stages. That, yeah, that makes sense. So for you, how has it been transitioning from, because you were the director of operations at ACC. I was a chief operating officer. Chief operating officer. So so you went from running all of the operations and now into an executive director role. And how how has that been, that transition? <laughs> it, I am learning every day and trying to keep up as best I can. I have a really great team yeah. in the shelter and a really great supportive board who's helping me sort of fill in the gaps in my experience and knowledge. Um, You know, I very much am an operations person. I I came up through the shelters. I, you know, I've, I'm one of those people I've done every job that you can do in the shelter, sort of front of house, back of house, but the governance piece, the development piece, all of these things are new to me. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm really 
you know, I'm reading a lot. I'm talking to a million different people, having as many conversations, you know, listening to podcasts like this one's really just trying to learn the things that I have to learn so that I can be the most effective. You know, we certainly have some work to do at the shelter to shore up operational things and process processes and that stuff I, I can do. And I have, like I said, I have a great team mm-hmm. that's on board with all of the things that we want to get moving, but there's certainly things, you know, in order to have that full picture that, that I'm still working on, uh, you know, a big, big change for me coming to act is, at ACC, I was part of a leadership team that, for the most part, we were together between six and eight years wow. as a unit, moving that organization forward. And so there was a real just sort of kismet where we knew, you know, everyone's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. We knew we, we said something and everybody knew what we meant. Yeah. And coming into ACT, I'm the third director in as many years. Wow. Um, yeah, so, so just the stability and consistency of leadership and direction has been lacking for this organization. And and that's part of the reason I decided to take this job because I thought, I I think it's really important for an organization to have a clear direction and a leader that is committed and can form a team that's committed and sort of to, to bring that organization forward because it works so well in New York, you know, when I started there, I think we were, you know, less than we were in the seventies in terms of live release. Mm. And I think this last year they, they were at like 93 or something. So just the benefits that can come from a, a, a consistent message and vision, I think, you know, can't be, can't be overstated. Well, and it seems uh, I'm relatively new to sheltering world myself, and it seems like there is just a lot of turnover naturally in this industry. I think, I don't know if it's burnout or people move on to higher paying jobs or or what it is, but um, so when you see an organization like ACC and others here at HRA, it's very similar. We've had the the leadership team in place for a long time. It's really wonderful and refreshing to see that kind of stability. And you're like, they've got to be doing something right to hang on to people for that long. And especially when the jobs are very stressful and, you know, you're you're just juggling moving pieces all the time every day. So that's great. You're bringing that energy and you've, you've had that experience. So you know what that looks like and what it takes to create a team like that, which is so important. Yeah. So how is uh, the virus, COVID-19, how is it impacting Philadelphia right now? Philly is predicted to be one of the next hotspots. Okay. Um, although I did get, I get like the the texts from the city every day with all of the updates. And I did get a text a couple of days ago that we had had several days of a decrease Mm-hmm. in the number of new positive cases. So, you know, knock on wood, hopefully that's that's a sign of of things to come and and maybe we will get through this in better shape than anticipated. But yeah, Philly for the 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 last couple of weeks has has sort of risen on the radar um in terms of places that the the nation is paying attention to. We've had a significant number increase in positives in deaths unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on here. The city, one really positive thing I will say, um, you know, the city and the mayor do have this 
stated uh, commitment to equity. And so recognizing that nationwide, this disease has impacted, you know, underserved communities and um, economically disadvantaged populations in a disproportionate way, the cities really come through with support and resources to just help help people get through it as best they can. There's something like 40 sites throughout the city where people can go and just get free food. Okay. They were able to set up testing sites really quickly. So there's like good and bad when it mm-hmm. comes to this the city, you know. As far as animals and and Act Philly specifically, you know, knock on wood, things have have been good. To my knowledge, none of the organizations, none of the animal organizations have seen any intakes related to COVID. Act Philly certainly has not. We're aware of one case of two cats somewhere in the city and like the community rallied around them and was able to find them you know, a foster home or, or something, a place for them to go. Uh-huh. But the the shelter itself is is doing really well. We put out messaging pretty early on about what we needed the community to do. You know, we, we changed how we were doing our intakes. We changed the process for foster and adoption. And everybody heard the message and responded. And, and it was great. So again, knock on wood, we, we hope that things continue to, to move in this direction. And if that's the case, yeah, you know, it's going to, it's almost going to be a positive experience for us, which is, is weird to say, because on the whole, this is a very negative one, but no, no, I think that that really, we, we talk about that a lot, how, you know, this is a really challenging time and sobering, but at the same time, we're we're innovating and trying new things. And I think we're going to learn. So I follow you guys on social. And I've seen that you you guys are you guys are doing a lot of innovating you, you moved most of your adoptable animals into foster and um, you're really expanding your pet food pantry. So how are all those changes going? How's the community responding? They're going really well. And, you know, the, the two that you mentioned were sort of two of our biggest initiatives because we anticipated animals coming in from from COVID households and we anticipated some impact to staffing. We really wanted to keep our population in the shelter as low as possible. And we knew there were going to be some challenges around doing adoptions. We're still doing them, but we sort of saw foster as a really effective way to move animals out of the shelter, engage the community, mm-hmm. in particular engage, you know, folks who maybe wanted to help but didn't want that long-term commitment of adoption. And in the first two weeks of our messaging around foster, we got over 1,200 new applications for from foster parents. People wow. who had, yeah, people who had never interacted with us before, uh-huh. but, you know, saw, saw our postings. We, we were on the news a bunch, saw yeah. that. And I pulled stats yesterday, and as of yesterday, 90% of our population is being cared for in foster homes, which is tremendous. And right. had you asked me if that was possible before all of this, I would have said absolutely not. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, it is staggering when you think about that. When you, th- I yeah. mean, it really is. And it's just, I think many of us had thought, okay, there's a way to really expand foster and expand the community's role in sheltering, but I don't think anyone would have conceived this is possible. And so now that you've done this and you've moved most of your animals into foster and you're 
supporting your community in all these different ways, do you anticipate keeping any of these things around these changes? <laughs> is is keeping everything an acceptable answer? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> good, good. Because really, I mean, that that is sort of where my mind is at. A yeah. couple of weeks ago, on our weekly leadership call, you know, the team started talking about, okay, which which of the program revisions that, that we have in place right now do we want to carry forward? Let's start mm-hmm. thinking about that. Let's start talking about it. And then, you know, I... I was doing more thinking and sort of pulling some statistics and evaluating, you know, what's going well, what's not going well and, and everything was going well. Yeah. And so we came back on another call and I put it out to the team again. And I said, you know, I want us to think about how we are going to carry everything forward, Mm. you know, with, with 90% of our animals being cared for in homes versus the shelter with, you know, double capacity with our pet pantry. Why would we want to go back? You know, we have almost no disease in the shelter and right. in our facility, you know, if anybody's ever been there is mm. that, that classic converted warehouse oh. with the leaky roof and, you know, the pooling water on the floor. It, it's not a place that is conducive to keeping animals healthy. Right. You know, we, we haven't gotten a single complaint from the community about accessibility. We haven't, we haven't seen any negative. And so if everything we've done has moved us in a positive direction where animals are receiving a higher level of care, people are, you know, are happy with the level of service and the quality of interaction with the organization. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine a compelling reason to go backwards. I, I think the only thing that we're eager to, to go back to what we had going on before was our volunteer program is currently suspended yeah. because of social distancing. And my God, we want those people oh, yes. back in. Yes. But, but beyond <laughs> that, you know, people are happy. Animals are happy. Yeah. No, that's, I think we're sort of in the same place where we're trying things. I think the virtual adoption has been particularly amazing because people are able to get a really an accurate sense of what an animal is like in a home because they are in a home. Um, There's not this transition while they've been in the shelter. So they're going to need house training refreshers. And, you know, they have some behavior has been, you know, challenged. They're becoming jumpy and bitey because they're sick of being in a kennel most of the day. And, And so it's just that's been really fun for us to see that that's that's worked well and the fosters are are doing well I think then the conversation becomes like how do you sustain it you know how do you right. keep you know your fosters supported and resourced and there's a lot of interesting conversations happening nationally about how to do that so but but it is it's great to see that this is a really pivotal moment and um, so many organizations are using it to rethink how they they do business every day. Yeah, there's there's a, a huge opportunity in front of us right now to to change things that haven't been working and to move forward things that we sort of tried, you know, on a on a hope and a prayer. Um, and and I don't know that we're going to get that chance again. So I think it's important for for all of us. You know, it sounds like you guys are doing it yeah. at HRA. We're definitely doing it at, at ACT to, to really take a look at that. 
So how are you, how are you able to going back to your pet pantry? How are you able to double the size and, and, you know, expand the capacity so quickly? Yeah. So appointments, 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 appointments has been the key for everything for us. So historically what we had was, you know, your, I think sort of the vision of a pet pantry that, that most places have every other Saturday, Mm -hmm. 50 people would line up in our parking lot and, you know, wait for a couple of hours as we worked through the line and handed out the food. And from a social distancing perspective, that really wasn't going to work. You know, we're on a skeleton crew. So from a staffing perspective, that really wasn't going to work. So we said, well, what if we just, instead of having everybody come, you know, one day, two days, why don't we just have a small number of people come every day by appointment? And when we started looking at that, we realized that by spreading the, the people out across every day of the month, we could actually serve twice as many hmm. um, okay. and still have time to clean and disinfect in between, you know, still have time to review the applications. Like it was just like a light bulb, like, oh my God, this is a much easier way to deliver this service. And we're delivering it to so many more people. It, it really was like, oh my God, well, how, how did we not think of this before? So do you guys, do people call to make the appointment or they make it online? How is it done? They make it online. We, um, we use Acuity scheduling for all of our appointments. Okay. For pet pantry, for foster, for appointment. And it's really, you know, you just load up the, the application. So when, by the time they come to the shelter, we've reviewed their paperwork. We have the supplies that they're, they're picking up waiting and ready for them. It's been a really nice experience, I think, both for staff and, and the public. Wow. Well, that's great. That's, another really awesome innovation. (laughs) Yeah. And it was something that the community was excited to support us. I think going into this COVID world, you know, lots of us were having conversations about donations and funding and, you know, negative impacts to all of that. And, and so we've been trying to be creative about what sort of asks to the community were appropriate given the situation and relevant. And, and we thought, you know, the, the pet food pantry really is something that people would be supporting, not only act, but supporting their neighbors, supporting their community. And, and it's something that people like to give. And, and, you know, we put out that messaging and we actually, so we share our building with another agency and we had to ask them to loan us one of their storage rooms because we got mountains of donations wow. that we just had no place to put. And and they were gracious enough to give us that space. And, and now it's fully stocked. And so, you know, again, just the community has shown up for us in such tremendous ways. It's really, it's been heartwarming to, to experience. That's great. Well, we are running out of time, but I just want to ask you one more question um, before we close. And what advice would you give to other shelter leaders around the country as they are also trying to navigate these difficult times? I think my advice is really simple. Like, just do it. Be brave. (laughs) You know, talk to your stakeholders, join all the national calls that are going on. There's a lot of really good ideas out there. But, you know, we've touched on it a couple of times during the call, like there, it's such a weird time. And because there is no blueprint for how to navigate this, 
there's no framework for how you should navigate it. And so like now is the time to try all of those crazy ideas that you didn't think you could ever do. You never even had the time to think through. And so like I say, just do it, do it before it's fully worked out, do it before you're ready because there's time to figure things out right now. There's time to tweak. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's an unprecedented time. So do unprecedented things and, you know, at least our experience has been that people are eager to support. And I don't think that we're going to get this opportunity again. You know, we know that shelters a million years ago were set up for, for a purpose. And that purpose wasn't life-saving. It wasn't community service. And so I think now is the opportunity to, to shake that up a little bit. And in order to do that, people are just going to have to be brave and, and put those crazy ideas out into the world and, and make them work. Well, that's that's great advice. And thank you so much, Aurora, for your time. It was wonderful to to uh, check in with you and learn what, all about all the great work you're doing in Philadelphia. And I, I wish you continued luck as you um, you know, move forward. And, and we'll have to do this again in a few more months and, yeah. and uh, check in and see how all everything's going. So I would love that. That would be great. Thank you so much for, for having me on. You know, I love that you're doing this podcast and sharing people's stories and, you know, just just helping to get ideas and encouragement and all of that out there. And it was really great to catch up with you. Good. Well, thank you. Yeah, we have a, a lot of smart, um, innovative people in our industry. So it's it's a lot of fun for me to to do this. So <laughs> and to all of our listeners, please uh, subscribe so you can receive more great episodes just like this one.